Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Talking of which, I think... From the various posts, I think there's a whole tribe of men out walking the dog late yes, at night. Definitely, definitely. Chuckling to themselves. Yes, yeah. I had one uh, actually the other week from um, some guy in New Jersey, which sadly, like most emails and most posts on the, on the website, I've kind of mislaid. But uh, his mother. Uh, no, that's good, right. This guy heard his, heard his wife asking one of his daughters, what's dad doing? And the girl <laughs> said, he's listening to some English guy giggle. <laughs> That's great. Which the thought was, you know, that that's a hell of a testimonial, that is. I'm, I'm thrilled about that. Um, so we, we, just, we just stepped up, picked our way. Through um, a load of leggy 17-year-olds. A try. In reception. Um, because Mixmag, a close neighbour of Word, is having an open casting yeah. for models. Is that not coming from the world of magazines? Is that what you do when you're bored on a Monday afternoon? You know, it's you one of the... Put out the call. David and I are used to this, though. It's, we've, we've seen we've this in long magazines. Uh, oh, Man of No, but I mean, you were always next door to more looks, or just seventeen, or mixed mag, or somebody who uses models. And you know, once a month, you go into reception, and it's just a wash with people who are all six foot two, very thin, male or female, mostly female, yeah. as today. And they tend to walk in and go, "I'm a model." I'm a model. Spelled spelled M O D A W. Yeah, a model. So, yeah, <laughs> it's true. You thought it was a special welcoming committee we laid yeah. on for you. Yeah. But listen, I'm but just going to... Most of the job aren't many, but... No, it's actually, after a while, after the first couple of times, it's the dullest thing you've ever seen in your life. And they kind of cluster up the place, making really dull small talk. But also... Because small talk, you know, once you're outside the magic circle, can be a very dull thing. But let me tell you, you've never heard anything till you've heard models small talk. Because the smallest small talk you can talk doesn't come any smaller. It just absolutely doesn't come any. Been anywhere nice? Yes. Because <laughs> basically they're talking about going to go sees like this. This is what's known as a go see. A go see. So you go, you go, and you take your book, which has a few pictures in it, a few early. Taken by your boyfriend. And well, oh, if you're lucky, by a professional. 
Uh, and you, you stand in front of a, a fashion editor and a photographer and then leaves through your book and occasionally looks at you and doesn't offer any comment at all, then shuts the book, gives it to you, and you never hear anything from them ever again. So, I'm just going to say this. It must be in defence of these girls, Dave. I'm sure you'll agree with me. This must be a rough old That's what I'm saying. The point is this. The point is this, and this is particularly addressed to, you know, female listeners. Of which there are. But there are a few. And if you've gone through school and you've been envious of the girl who was 5 foot 11 and incredibly thin and really attractive and all the boys wanted to go out with, and she left school at the age of 17 and announced that she was going to be a model... And you thought she was going into a life of, you know, luxury, fun all the way. It's not true. Right now, this girl, two years down the line, is suffering another rebuff and humiliation and is getting on the, she's onto getting, the central she's line. She's getting rejected on the hour, every hour. Absolutely. From the moment she gets up to the moment from, she goes From to the bed. bloke that does the Littlewoods catalogue. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> this is, you know, it's a tough life. You know, it's a very, very tough life and it doesn't last long at all. It's a more peculiar life if you're not in the uh, fashion business, but you're simply a model. And then you can get chosen to be in a you know, National, West, National Westminster Bank ad, or be an airline stewardess, or be um, you know, um, a lesbian political activist or whatever. It's whatever they think you look like. And that's a peculiar thing, because then you come back with a totally different feeling about yourself, which is, do I really look like the person they want me to be? <laughs> which is, you know, a female lorry driver or something. Now, do you know that uh, people have been commenting on what you and I look like this week? Oh, yeah? Because we Have had it? a picture of us uh, published on the Word mag- website, wordmagazine.co.uk, to celebrate the fact that we got prizes this week. We yes. did! And they said that I, one person, who shall remain nameless, but I do have his IP address, <laughs> and, and he will, and he will him find himself, you know, in sticky trouble. On the business end no, of a bunch um, of fives. <laughs> he pointed out that I looked like Van Morrison. Well, early, he said, early Van Morrison. Although he said I'd let myself go a bit. <laughs> That's nice. Uh, but he pointed out that, well, not he. Did, but, sorry, did, did this guy write to the website to say that? Write to the website. Mark Torsen. <laughs> dear <laughs> website. Dear website. <laughs> you like he got his secretary to take down a letter. Send down a letter. <laughs> a telegram. Send a telegram and post haste to the word website. And oh. it, it, somebody else pointed out that you look like John Alderton and please, sir. <laughs> I take that as a massive compliment. So I'll tell you what happened to me the other day. I went to the British Society Magazine Editors Awards and talked to this very nice guy. I mean, it's slightly sort of ill-lit part of the giant banqueting hall of the Grover House. And he says, you're the editor of Word Magazine. Yeah, I won't read Word. Lovely. Then he stands back squinting at me and goes, God alive, he said. These are his exact words. He says, God alive, you should update your editor's photo. Oh, my God. They didn't say that to Julie Birchall. I have to tell you, my editor's photo is six months old. Yeah, not, Julie not, Birchall not was like trading most... into, into her late 90s <laughs> using a picture of her when she was only 15. Absolutely. Which, which most journalists do. Yes, they do. <laughs> you know, journalists spend their lives talking about how appallingly picky pop stars are and film stars are about picture approval. But if you ever take a picture of a journalist and propose to publish it, you go through the, the most nightmarish process. Well, and we've talked recently about that, about hair loss amongst rock and roll stars. I mean, quite often, the picture bylines of male, uh, <laughs> male journalists bear no relation yeah. at all. Yes, oh, you to current tonsorial yeah. state. If you bumped into them in the street, you wouldn't know at all. Yeah. Well, this is the Word uh, website. Uh, I'm David Hepworth, and you are... I'm Mark Allen. <laughs> yeah, and you are. <laughs> and I am. And John Alderson lookalike, Mark Allen. <laughs> and you are... Matt Hall. Oh, there you go. We, we would have 
being joined by Rob Fitzpatrick. And Rob, what's Rob done? He's, He's done his knee in. Cruciate ligament. Cru- I don't know how you pronounce that. Cru- I mean, all I said was there's no chance of him now playing in any World Cups. So, because that's not the thing that usually usually takes people out of, off off the pitch yeah. minutes before a crucial game. Oh, well, so there we are. Injuries are piling up on the world. But we've had some exciting. You brought your you bought your um, ukulele. What were you doing? Yeah, with popular With your little ukulele in your hand. <laughs> Are you going to read that letter? Thing. It is. Um, <laughs> I, well, okay. I'm going to strum quietly when you read this. Yeah, okay, I read right, this letter. Right, okay. This, this is, letter this is to sent, our website. sent by Nick Dean, okay? Can you hear me? Yeah. He says, I was sitting in the Hope pub just behind Good Street, talking to my friends Dave and Bob about music and the origin of the ukulele. What a lovely picture that gets. That's my idea of a perfect evening. <laughs> he says... A young woman from the Czech Republic, nice kind of exotic note there, and she used Cosmopolitan London, suddenly interrupted (laughs) us and said she had been listening to our conversation and was sure we were the blokes from the Word podcast. And she kept saying, she kept saying, which one of you is Mark? And when she didn't, when we denied all this, she just thought we were lying. So we have to pretend we were indeed the blokes from the Word podcast. She was with a man and an imaginary friend named Barbara. <laughs> <laughs> I that. So say, I'll forgive her, though. He says, say hi to her for us. We said we'd give her a mention. Can you believe that? Yeah, I think it's wonderful. So people sit in a pub and they hear the distant plaintive sound of the uke. Po- possibly, you know, they think, what wondrous sound has been coaxed out of that instrument. Yeah. That can only be Mark Ellen. Mark Ellen. And yeah. then they instantly think, I'm, you're I'm the bloke for word it's a big strawberry. It's very, I'm very flat. Have we ever done? Have we ever done that? Have you ever been mistaken for a pop star story? Oh, go on. Well, I was once. I was once mistaken for um, uh, the lead singer of House of Pain. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what he looks like. Is that a compliment? I, I, it's I don't have a mental image of it. It was when I had much shorter hair and, it, and, a, and a goatee beard, and I was actually waiting to interview the lead singer of House of Pain at a hotel just outside, just off. Um, Regent Park, and um, they had a hit single called "Jump." They right? jump around, good jump around, rather good. very good. good. Yeah. Um, and they, uh, I was waiting downstairs in the foyer with the press officer, and, a, and an itinerant journalist turned up um, on the blank, basically, and he not managed to book a. I can't remember which for which uh, periodical he'd worked for, and he not he hadn't managed to book a slot. And the press officer said, "Look, I'm sorry, we're, we're full. You know, we can't. We, we haven't got any time for you to do the interview." And he was like, "Oh, please!" And, and, the, and the woman was, "Look, I'm really sorry, we can't." Do it. And he actually turned to me and goes, "Go on, mate, just a few quick words." <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I actually wondered for like a split second whether I could uh, carry off. And we're splitting up. Don't I recall an incident involving you and Suzanne Vega outside a bar in Greenwich oh, Village? Oh, yeah, you do. Yeah, no, that was quite funny. I, was, no, I, was, I, I can't remember if they thought I was Paul McCartney or who they thought I was. Well, I think, <laughs> they, 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 I think, excuse me, are you John Lennon? <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, I was sitting there interviewing. That's right. I, that was completely forgotten. We were to tell you about your life. I though. know. We were at a table outside on 57th Street in New York, which was quite a long time ago, and we recorded the Elbrey Whistle Test. And Suzanne Vega had graciously allowed herself to be filmed outdoors. I had heavy security around her just in case she was mobbed, you know. 
and some bloke came steaming in and just said, oh, sorry, mate, I just got to, just so excited, I just got to get an autograph. It's so nice to see you, Paul. Assumed I was Paul McCartney being interviewed by a, a young, dashing oh, journalist. Oh, yeah, I think oh, so. Oh, so that's yeah. perfect. So she, he assumed that she was the She was the reporter, yeah. She was, she the, was the member of the public. Yeah, yeah. Oh, good she God. Thought, like, she was the TV reporter interviewing Paul McCartney. What a so was, Oh, OK, you know, thanks, that's great, you know. And uh, all that sort of stuff, and got away with it. Okay. Oh, yeah. But it's never happened to me. The Word. A magazine, a website, a podcast, a way of life. The other night, we tell everybody about our prizes, Mark. Oh, yeah, got, yeah, yeah. We, we got from Record of the Day. We got two who are three wonderful um, music and media um, commentators, aren't they? How would you describe well, them? Well, they've got a tip yeah. sheet, email tip newsletter, sheet, yeah. and we've got this intelligence service, whatever. Awards, I'm absolutely thrilled about, actually. Uh, in fact, we've got two, because the Mighty Word were dragged up as well. Well, um, Word got Music Magazine of the Year. And then you and I got for being alive. Long distance, <laughs> you know, still alive. I thought they'd died years ago. They appeared to be still breathing and moving. Uh, gosh, doesn't he look like John Alderton? <laughs> Services too. Services too. yes. Uh, that tell us a story about being on Live Aid, Grandpa, that kind of thing. But it was great, wasn't it? And we made a bit of speech. 23 people preceded us. Nobody made a speech. And nobody made a speech at all, apart from one guy made a very, very... Bernard Doctor made a fantastic speech, so that's not true. But he read it, PR. to be fair. He read it, and uh, he made a very uh, very good speech, a very moving speech. Before him was a guy called Carl Fish, who's a, a PR, who made an absolutely fantastic speech. He got up, he was being heckled by a couple of rival PR companies, and he just said, wait till my husband gets out of jail! Which, of course, was a question from Amy Whitehouse, in case this last one. Which I thought was very funny. But anyway, no, David, I went to a long... Ponderous, didn't no, we? No, we did. Did we do long ponderous? No. We talked for about a one minute fifteen seconds. I don't think it, between oh, right. two of us, I don't think that's counts no, as long and ponderous. Long, like, but anyway, they got a special well. celebrity to present us with the award. His picture you can see if you look at the word website wordmagazine.co.uk. And so we graciously accepted and said thank you and so forth. And this individual was a word reader and so forth. And it was only the following morning. Mark Ellen said to me, who was that black? <laughs> <laughs> Don't say that. <laughs> I'm say sorry. That. Does he listen to the podcast? Hey, Mike, well, John Sim, do you listen oh, to the podcast? Oh, no, that's terrible. Simo, he said, that's terrible. Uh, but you see, Mark is so well brought up, he thanked him fulsomely. Regardless, he didn't know who he was. Well, I'm a bit out of touch with television, is the honest truth. Uh, but I, of course, I'm crushingly embarrassed, because he was actually in our magazine about two months ago. A major <laughs> world-exclusive interview by Andrew Harrison. Very good too, but it was but very nice. It was very nice of him to come along and uh, and give us that prize. And we went on to get our prize after a musical turn, who was the most. How can I say this? Is the most self-destructive act of entertainment I've ever seen in my entire life. Right? He did two songs. This complete unknown. The second of which, you know, in front of a room full of beery music hacks and PRs, he taught... All, all heckling, <laughs> generally up. He did one song which can only be adequately described by the adjective dirge-like because it was inspired by his visit to Banya Luka. Right? Did he tell us that before he started? He did. He okay. said, basically, this is about my, my trip to a war zone. My trip to the epicentre of human misery. Yeah. And I'd like to give you about six minutes worth of reflections yeah. it's on about what that. that felt like. 
when the what we world. were really looking for was Mark Ellen to do, you know, with my little ukulele in my hand. Um, but no, he did it. But so. if they'd asked me, I would have hopped up and done well, I'm cleaning windows, which I'll tell you what, I'll get a toe tapping. So, more than that guy, anyway. So the room had to lift it a little bit after that. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, in classic fashion, we both got awards, um, you know, a kind of framed record, which has got an actual playable record in there. It's a brilliant and idea. It's, it's a playable record. It comes to services to whatever. I'm going home on the tube on, on the big dealer line. Mark Allen's going on the tube on I'm on the tube in the other direction. We both looked at our simultaneously. Simultaneously, we looked at our awards and found that wouldn't you know it, I got Mark Allen's <laughs> and he got David Hepburn. A story of my life. <laughs> Proof that nobody knows which one is which. Yeah, yeah, fair yeah. enough. <laughs> and after our terrible treatment of John Sin. John Sim, by the way, life, life on Mars and Doctor Who. I now know this. Because my wife told me. I can't have <laughs> so bad about it. No, I know. I've mugged up now. Did you show your wife a picture? Yeah, yeah. she's just on Simo. <laughs> so who's he with? It's just me and Dave. That's <laughs> Van Morrison and John Morrison. <laughs> John Alderton. <laughs> oh, dear. The Word. One of the things we've been having fun with, and I'm going to spring this one. Go okay. on. Having fun with, on the Word website, wordmagazine.co.uk, is, you know, there's this massive great Led Zeppelin compilation just come out called The Mother oh, yeah. which okay. gives you hundreds of, lots of tracks by Led Zeppelin. Okay. Well, we decided we want to go as far as possible in the, the other direction, okay? We're not going to try and be comprehensive. What I want everybody to focus on, what I put to the community is, if you had to put out a Led Zeppelin compilation that thoroughly represented Led Zeppelin in all the majesty... And would mean something to people who'd never heard them before. But you could only choose one track. What's it going to be? Because this started with my son, my 20-year-old son. It says to me, came up to my room with a, a sense of kind of duty, like somebody had to get round to his homework, and he had to do it eventually. said, if I want to start with Lev Zeppelin, what would I start with? Yeah. So, so I took that as a starting point, okay? And I chose one song, Okay. I know, basis, I know what you chose. On the basis that I know if you don't like this, you won't like anything else. You won't get any further. I know, I know what I can absolutely okay, can sure. I know guess. which of the two songs. You've either chose Days and Confused or Cashmere. No, well, yeah, Cashmere, okay? All right, well, thank you. Thanks, so well. Thanks for coming out today. I got, in almost one go, David Hepworth's choice. It's so, made absolutely clear. <laughs> so it's a good discipline, this. Very, very good, yeah. You know? See I, you see, I don't think you can choose Days and Confused because loads of people... We'll listen to Days and Confused and think, well, my son, for instance, would think that's overblown, hammy, sounds dated, whereas Cashmere sounds fresh as paint. Play on the radio today, it'll sound better, yeah, terrific. strangely terrific enough, than when it originally came out. It's gone. You, cashmere is taken, okay? Oh, right. What are you going to have? You're going to have Days and Confused. No, I wouldn't. You see, but I, no, I wouldn't have one that represents Led Zeppelin, it's my problem. Oh, well, that's a problem. See, see, so it doesn't, right, work. Yeah, it doesn't work. work. I would have just work. my favourite. Which what is since I've been loving it. Okay. Which okay. I listen to once a week. I have done for some time. It's an absolute masterpiece. Oh, well. I'll go, I'll go and listen it to It is that. simply incredible. There was somebody got in touch on the website, said, uh, <laughs> said, when a man is tired of custard pie, he is tired of life. <laughs> what about you, Matt? Uh, I think it'd have to be when the levee breaks. Okay, well, I'll give you that. Roots and blues, a bit of hollering, riftastic. But, but not dated. No, not dated. Okay, apply the same logic, okay, to Elvis Presley. See, my point is, you can't play 
blue suede shoes. You can't do it. It just sounds dated. You can't play, I don't know... Uh, Girl of My Best Friend? Okay. That would be my choice. It's something mi- near the middle, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. His latest flame. It's got it. His latest flame. Is that the one I mean? It is, yeah. Well, no, there isn't. There is no, one no, called yeah, 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 yeah. Girl of My Best Friend yeah. as well. Uh, it tends to be something near the middle. What about you, Matt? King Creole, I think. King, King Creole, absolutely. Again, yeah. it's the middle. Yeah. It expresses everything it Everything rocks. you feel warm yeah. about with Mrs. Presley. It's got the Jordan <laughs> airs on it. Do you know what this reminds me of? Danny Baker used to do a thing on uh, GLR before it was uh, London Radio. And uh, he used to do this phone-in programme. It was so funny. And people would ring up with things to which there was no right answer. He would decide it was the right answer. And one of the things he did was, what's the best number between 0 and 10? Yeah. And I remember somebody ringing going, um, three, so we've got, we've got Catherine on, on line three here. What do you, what you reckon, Catherine? Five. Five. You go, don't make me laugh. <laughs> so we've got Simon. Seven. Seven? She just said five, and now you're saying seven. This is ludicrous. This went on for about ten minutes, and eventually somebody said two. He said, it's the right answer. <laughs> and that's what we're doing here. No, but you see, this we're going, is... cashmere, the right answer. No, okay, all right, all right, all right, all right. I'm going to raise the stakes. Go Beatles. Oh, okay. One song, one song. Oh, my God. One record, oh, The Beatles. Oh, my God. Why don't you just put me on? And I've got the right answer. Well, there's various. All right, okay. Well, let me give you five and see if I'm going to well no, 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 no. Anybody could do five. All right. <laughs> so, I mean, for sheer, you know, um, sheer sort of full frock rock and roll vocal delivery, it's got to be high down. No, but that's not, it's not well, right, for okay. sure. You know, what you're trying to do is, is, is that you have three minutes to communicate to somebody who's never heard them before what is special about the Beatles. It can't be on down. Like, no. it can't be yesterday. No, okay, I'm going to get it in a second. Uh, everyone at home, I'm sure, is at home. Or every, everyone listening. <laughs> what about you, man? Rattling while he's thinking. This is going to be slightly contentious. Go on, all right. But I'd say, if I needed someone... Uh, well, because the problem is, if you George Harrison, well, that's the whole point. Okay. Because if you doesn't choose one of the others, doesn't well, sound like the Beatles. Is it weight? Sorry, is it weight from Revolver? Is it annual bird can sing? No, you're guessing. You, you, you're I'm not. not. I'm just, yeah. just throwing a few in here. You obviously know the right answer. <laughs> the right answer. The right answer. No, I've just changed my mind before I was there. You see, <laughs> but the right. right answer is. No reply of Beatles for sale. And why is that the right answer then? Because it's got everything that you love about the Beatles in it. It's written by John Lennon, but it sounds like Paul McCartney. It's got the most greatest middle eight in the history of popular music. It's not wildly well known, it's not over familiar. Yeah. I mean, she loves you if you listen to it now. You can't get past it. You can't get past the fact that you've heard it millions of times. Whereas no reply, you sort of haven't. Yeah? Yeah, it's a good choice. I think it's a good choice. I'm not going to contest it. The Clash. The Clash. One song, one uh, song. Hateful. Oh, cool. All right, cool. Ooh, cool. Um, it's, it's a card game. It's, it's like song. Morning to Crescent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, that's just what I'm saying. Matt. Just like that. The Clash. I think it'd have to actually be The Clash with your rockers. Okay. It wouldn't be London Calling. Nah, um, nah, it could be something... How about Rock the Casbah, which is not sung by Joe Strummer? Controversial. Yeah. Great song. I would get a lot Great of piano people. part on it. But anyway, this is a game that everybody can play. And, uh, and if you go on the website, wordmagazine.co.uk, you can fling in your suggestions on Led Zeppelin. But you know, it's an interesting thing, is it's about discipline. It's not about giving people 20. 
Yeah, I, I fell out with somebody on the website this week, actually, because normally... Are they banned? With, with, <laughs> Are they banned? They've got their eyes <laughs> from looking at the website. <laughs> You're banned. You know, we've, we do the, the uh, iPod shuffle. Yeah. Where basically you shuffle, you put your iPod on random, and you give us the first five tracks you come up with. What did somebody do this week? They tried to start <laughs> ten. It's not the point, is it? Because if you have ten, you're going to fib. Aren't you? You know what I mean? If you have five, it's supposed to be an instant test. Yeah. Yeah, it's supposed to be a pitch. Depending on the rules. Yeah? Well, anyway. I told them, though. <laughs> do I do that again, Larry? A magazine, a website, a podcast, the word. But listen, we got some brilliant stuff in response to the discussion last week about uh, the fact that uh, what really drives people's interest in pop music is posing with a tennis racket. In front oh, of yeah, yeah, yeah. In front of the bedroom mirror. And, you know, pretending to be a rock star. Is is in, enormously powerful. Got some fantastic stuff back here uh, from from Nick Treadwell, particularly. Did you read about Nick? He started off with with the tennis racket guitar, like everybody did, but he soon managed to acquire. This is him when he was you know, twelve years old yeah. or whatever. A cheap microphone, uh, which he insisted sounded better if he applied a coating of cotton wool as a makeshift pop shield. You know, the thing you put around <laughs> the it. baffle. Uh, and basically special. what he did was he assembled slowly all the accoutrements of his notional band, including a set of leather drums. And he, could, he could do a mouth trumpet and he could do humming. And, uh, and oh, after yeah. a while, he started to record himself. <laughs> <laughs> he pretended to be a rock star. And then he's recorded himself. He says, soon I was making up my own songs, my own albums, and concocted my own gig. For two hours, two hours... He played a live performance. My mate sat in my room while I pranced around singing to backing tapes of my own making, playing a cheap Bon Tempe organ and even playing a couple of badly fingered chords on, on a guitar. That's a test of friendship, isn't it? He said, my Just mate... Sit. Yeah. My mate, bless him, sat through yeah. the, the, the whole lot... Even, even, for encore. even my costume changes. <laughs> <laughs> he says, at the end, he looked... the stage. Read, read the last sentence there, Mark. Go on. He says, at the end, he looked at me with a forlorn expression and said, can I go home now? <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that fantastic? That's, that's from funny. Nick Treadwell. That's absolutely oh, that's brilliant. Can I take some beats? Yeah, go on, Matt. You go on, yeah. Uh, this is from Martin Horsfield. Um, my mate Webby used to love ACDC so much that he had a poster of Angus Young's Gibson SG. One day he was struck by a blinding thought. If I cut out around it and get my dad to glue it to a guitar-shaped piece of plywood, all my air guitar fantasies will be made real. <laughs> Amazingly, his father agreed to get busy with the lathe and for a spell, circa 1986, no game of... Arkanoids on the C64 was complete without Webby getting bored, cranking up the DC, and jumping off his settee with plywood SG in hand. Oh, that is plywood SG in hand. (laughs) Sticking to the subject of ACDC, this is Skirky talking about miming to Highway to Hell and his friend Neil's living uh, front room. He says his brother Andrew got to be Bon Scott because he wasn't afraid to take his shirt off. He says, we took turns with the six-inch dowel drumsticks. He says, the time I brought round Dire Straits Sultans of Swing and insisted that we do the B-side was an early indication we weren't going to last the distance because of musical differences. 
That is very good. It's just fact brilliant. Can I do can I do my favourite? It's touched a raw nerve. Go on, go on. From Pat Carty. Um A story I told at my wedding about my father, a bon viveur, if ever there was one, who had sadly passed away the year before, bears repeating here. On a Friday years ago, my wife, then my girlfriend, was nervous about reading my, meeting my dad for the first time. So she took even longer than usual getting ready in the bedroom of our flat. I was out in the sitting room with a record on, and by the time she finally came out, I was up on the couch giving it my best air solo to whatever fine song was on at that moment. She roared at me to stop acting the goat and get ready. We eventually go to the hotel where my father was attending a union meeting and headed to the bar, only to be met with the strains of a boisterous Irish trad band. My wife looked around nervously, spotting one gent doing a particularly fine line in air banjo in time to the music. <laughs> Look at that fool, she said. Where's your dad? That, I reply inevitably, <laughs> is my dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very good. Very good. That is excellent. Air banjo. So, um, Mark, I've got something here about... Uh, uh, somebody got in touch with you and asked what you thought of Lucinda Williams. Oh, why? Did, were they, they were obviously there. Well, they were Did I say I was there? I think you said you were going or something last I month, last, that, last oh, week. when we were absolutely uh, fantastic. It was a very strange place called the Indigo, which is part of the O2 Dome in London, which I'd never attended before. And it's a rather peculiar venue because it's a bit like a cross between a, um, an airport a departure lounge and a shopping mall. I don't mean either of those things in a good way, <laughs> by the way. And just sort of a strange, polished stone floor. That's an airport departure lounge without the anticipation of going anywhere. Without the anticipation of going anywhere. Without the anticipation of buying anything. Yes, the two, the worst of both possible worlds. And, uh, but, you know, it was so extraordinary because she came on stage with this absolutely fantastic band, a guy from the Eels playing guitar, his name was I've Got the Steve, I think. And this genius guitar John Sim, John Sim, henceforth, henceforth can't remember anything. Van Morrison on the other guitar and Paul McCartney on bass. (laughs) (laughs) David Hepworth drums and yeah, and uh, they came out and and obviously the sound in this place is so absolutely extraordinary that they said that the last night they played the night before has been just completely transcendental for them. And uh, you know, it must make an amazing difference actually if you're a musician and you can really hear yourself. So I thought she was proud. She's, she's, a, she's a, a funny old girl, though. You know, you know it, it is so... I'm going to use a totally clichéd word, though. She's a very dark experience. Apparently, me. according to this correspondent whose name, classically, I've yeah. lost. So, John Sim. John Sim. Um, it says that she mentioned two friends who committed suicide. That is absolutely right. In the course uh, of the show. Just well, no, not in the course of the show. It's just building to its climax. And it was, she was just about to go off stage and say, thanks very much for coming out the Indigo, when she went into a monologue about two mates of the road crew had committed suicide within 48 hours, and, uh, and a great big soliloquy about um, mortality, really, but delivered in a, a very, very wobbly, <laughs> rather, rather anxious tone, and uh, I just couldn't believe she was doing it. You know, it's those moments when you think, if I was this girl's manager, you know, I'd be having a word, actually. I'd be saying afterwards... I wouldn't do that. Don't. The went balloon to, is in the air. After that. The balloon is in the air. Don't just keep it there. The elder God I get, the it. elder I get, the more I'd love to be a manager of all kinds of people for about five minutes. Mm. <laughs> just I'd them. like to be a coach, yeah. okay? And my job would be to say this: it doesn't matter who you are, whether you're Paul McCartney or the guy who you know committed suicide on stage the night we got our awards. The main piece of advice to all of them is that thing you're thinking of doing, don't do it. Stop. 
Trying not to do anything something out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because the number of times you see people, they're doing all right, and then they just do something stupid. You could set yourself up as a life coach, David. Well, <laughs> no, I mean, seriously, there used to be a time where managers used to do that. In the 50, in Tom Parker, I'm sure Tom Parker and Elvis Presley, you pretty much told him absolutely everything to do. I'd love to hear your five minutes with Amy Winehouse. Oh, right, yes, she's been to <laughs> No, 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 I, just, I saw her on Saturday night, and I, I, was, I was thinking the same thing. What would I say to this girl? Although this was the most stupendous show. It was absolutely fantastic. She, she's still got the Dat King. She's got, she's got a nine-piece soul group, many of whom were, yes, in the Dat Kings. And um, it's just so theatrical, because she's went to be on stage at quarter past nine. This was the Hammersmith Apollo, just around the corner from where I live. And the night before, she'd been absolutely shocking mocked by the newspapers and probably the next night she might have been a bit iffy too but that night it was absolutely extraordinary and so people have come from you know from miles you can just tell the people around you are not local they've come from the southern counties you know this is a big night they're playing um, you know Stevie Wonder and, uh, and uh, Steve Miller all sorts of stuff to get everyone warmed up and people are going absolutely crazy in the stores. and not many people have bothered about the fact she's advertised being on stage at 9.15 didn't turn up to 20 past 10 right <laughs> when she did turn up terrific build up one of the Atkins comes on and says um, please welcome to the Hammersmith Apollo Mrs Amy Winehouse and that was the long pause before she even comes out and still plug it away and she comes tottering out unsteadily on these heels delivers about two lines of vocal and then totters straight off stage again without, without a single look at anybody. And people, I think, genuinely think, that's it, that's not what we're going to get. And then she comes out again theatrically two minutes later. And this ruse goes on throughout the entire thing, about every ten minutes. For what reason, Matt, I don't know. Maybe some sort of refreshment. I'm not sure. She goes, at one point she, she just furiously threw herself off stage and came back only 30 seconds later, but wearing, a different, but wearing a different pair of shoes. No, no, wearing pink ballet pumps. She'd thrown her high heels into the wings and put these pink, pink ballet shoes on. It was extraordinary. And the other bizarre thing, there were so what, many bizarre things. Why would you need refreshing after two lines of. Well, it depends on what, you know, I don't know, kind of chemical balance she might be on, Dave, you know, <laughs> all day long. I've no idea. She might need some kind of energy boost. You know, there is that thing on YouTube. There's that thing on YouTube of her, uh, of her finding something in a beehive. Have you seen that? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's playing a gig and she suddenly starts rummaging in the She did that, she did that on Saturday. Constantly. Puts her whole hand inside the beehive. You don't know what the hell is going on. And it's so funny, there was a guy who came out, and this guy came up to us afterwards and just wanted to offload what he thought about the show. He went to this great big riff about, you know, unprofessional, not as good as the record. One point he said, the worst thing was, she forgot most of the lyrics. And we said, well, look, you've got to accentuate the positive. Just be thankful for all the lyrics you remembered. <laughs> it could be worse. And the other bizarre thing about her is, if you watch we took in a pair of field glasses, which I very rarely do, and it's an amazing thing. A very powerful field glasses. And you could see every I could read the tattoos on her arm. I could see every single detail of her jewellery, her facial expressions, her eye makeup, everything. It's as if you were literally on stage with her own. And so you can watch her face. And most soul singers are, to use a terrible cliche, in the moment. When they sing, they often sing, you know, with their eyes closed and their lower lip trembling. And they're just simply there, radiating whatever it is that they're, as if they're some conduit from above, you know. And she sings in the most distracted and disembodied manner I've ever seen in my life. She, she'll sing the first phrase 
looking at somebody in the audience. Then she'll wave at somebody, and then she'll scowl at somebody, then she'll turn and shout at the bass player, then she'll moan and gesticulate at the sound guy, and then she'll look back at the drummer, and then she'll see somebody she thinks she recognises in the front row. All in this kaleidoscope in the space of about 30 seconds. You're absolutely, utterly distracted. Does she have trouble focusing, do we think? Probably, yeah. But I mean, I thought it was absolutely fantastic. I thought, as I said to this guy afterwards, I mean, you know, if you want the records, old pal, but you know, I should stay at home. It's the easiest thing to do is stay at home. What do you want? I mean, do you want a bit of theatre, a bit of drama? And this strange old cove coming on with her dress torn to pieces, the, the hems of her dress were hanging down, and the bra straps just falling off her arm. And she just looked out at the beehive, getting more and more crooked. But I did think it was an extraordinary thing to watch, you know. Uh, you know, it, it, seemed, it seemed pretty unplanned to me. <laughs> and very enjoyable. Talking about the business of remembering the words, which I know we've talked about in the past yeah. the podcast, did you see that uh, Bono and The Hedge did, uh, did a show in uh, Upper Street, around the corner, this week? Did they? Oh, yes. They, uh, there was a, a special benefit for some charity, can't remember what, at the Union Chapel in Upper Street, uh, which featured a kind of middling band. And... First of all, performing as an unbilled as a support act were Bobo and the Hedge, who came out first and did some U2 songs, but came out with music stands with the lyrics on them, which does rather indicate that this thing that we've noticed recently, that you know every every major act is using an autocue. Where they've got it hidden, I don't know, but they're using an autocue, so that, you know they can't just go on. And do desire or whatever or angel in Harlem without knowing what the words are. The first time I ever saw an auto cue in action, we talked about it before, probably honestly. Diana Ross was out with uh, VH1 making a film about um, the divas, as they were called, this huge, great Madison Square Garden show that they used to make. And I'm standing in the wings watching Diana Ross rehearse, and all I can see is a great black hole in the stalls, disguised to look like a piece of. Uh, lighting or sound equipment and the white words spinning round on this thing, visible half a mile away uh, to somebody with a spotlight on their face, read, baby love ooh, baby love oh, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean, and you're just thinking this is absolutely, I've she seen Dolly Parton do the she same thing, she must part. know baby love surely, I mean that's a fairly, it's not a new number, but there it was I saw Sinatra with um, Paul Turkey, but I kind of didn't mind that because you, you Think well. How many songs does that? Well, Lucinda Williams. Lucinda Williams comes out. Well, there's a music music stand. stand. Yeah, and she has, as I remember Dave detailing in the piece he wrote about last year. She has a a kind of beer-proof plastic coated lyric sheet, and in between songs, she has a guy to come straight off. He comes. He's a roadie. He he races over, turns to page twenty-seven, runs off again. There's no fiddling with you know jack plugs or asking about the graphic equalisers. He's literally turning the pages of her book so she can look. And I think it would have been more fun if they had prompts, like in the theatre. <laughs> 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 what the manager said, <laughs> off stage. Yeah, yeah. Something the most. baby love. Baby and there's an awful yeah. story. He goes, <laughs> baby love. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, ooh, baby love. Oh, yeah, it's come back to me. That's That'd a great idea. That's very funny. David Weeks has been in touch with the website. Uh, people asking about, have you ever made a really bad purchase of a record? Something you're ashamed to admit. Too many to well, Too many to mention. But David ups the ante in a, in a story that I think you're going to find quite effective. Go on. Actually. He says, he's 11 years old in 1971. He scraped together the remains of his pocket money and a 10 shilling record token and went for the first time into the hushed and daunting interior the local record shop. 
says, up until then, my record collection consisted of little more than back home by the 1970 World Cup squad and two Pinky and Perky records. <laughs> but I knew what I wanted now. I'm trying to guess, 1971. This is good. He knew, knows what he wanted. Hot Love by T-Rex and Brown Sugar by the Rolling Stones. Okay? It says, after overcoming my initial embarrassment of asking for hot love in a public place. <laughs> you just imagine 11 year old going, yeah. have you got hot love? Yeah. He's madam. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's a lady in a nylon kind yeah, of. Uh, matronly, you know, yeah, starchy. Overall, yeah, yeah. Yeah. in boots or whatever. Nurse Fletcher. It says, <laughs> I it, Nurse Gladys Emmanuel. Yeah. Yeah. It says, I rushed home and placed them both carefully on the altar changer of my parents' HMV radiogram. Hot love was just as good as I knew it was going to be. But brown sugar. No, I wasn't going to waste my record token on this. So I took it back the next day. That, that, that requires nerve. And it? exchanged it for... Knock Three Times by Tony Orlando and Dawn. What a confession. <laughs> That's astonishing. That's absolutely astonishing. It's Dave DeWeeks, who took back the Rolling Stones' brown sugar and changed it for Knock Three Times on the ceiling if you want me. Do you feel that going through the portals of our website is a little bit like... Um, Pulling back the curtain of confession. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Because <laughs> people do feel, and I do myself, I say things, I write things on our website that are quite do liberating. You? Very rarely, I know, David. <laughs> 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 we're on the another day. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, you know, we're, we're accepting confessions 24 hours a day, seven days a week, uh, wordmagazine.co.uk. The Word. At this point in the programme, it's traditional, customary, time on. Expected. Order. Expected. That's the hoary old rock anecdote. And Matt's good at form, isn't he? Matt's yeah. <laughs> No. And this, this, uh, this story is different because it's, um, it's neither hoary, nor does it concern rock, really, nor is it even my anecdote. I've got this. I'll be frank with you. I read this story. And you hear the sound of young Islington on its toes. <laughs> on the way home, you know, with something purloined on the way, on the way home for its tea. <laughs> it's a lovely crowd it's Charles, oh, Charles Dickens Charles Dickens oh, yeah. Charles Dickens showing a clean pair of heels <laughs> with, a, with a big pile of vegetables he didn't pay for yes and an angry costermonger is that the word waving a fist going why I also yes <laughs> he's got a dog running after him with a, with a link of sausage a link of sausage <laughs> <laughs> The policeman, uh, Bobby on a bicycle, <laughs> wobbling his way after <laughs> Bobby's quite rotund. He's very rotund. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's what it's like. I'll be yeah. frank, I've got this story from Peace in the Independent, actually, which is about things that have gone wrong with interviews. We've all had cases oh, of things that have gone terribly wrong with interviews. But this Paul Benoit wrote me, and you should tell him about the time he was set fire to by the dam. Are we going to put him on to tell that story? Next time we Literally, get him on. Literally, they set fire to him. Now, that's, you really know you're at a disadvantage. Well, this, so, what's that funny smell? It was his jacket. Well, this one concerns, interesting you should say that, a conflagration oh, right, okay. on, a, on a different scale. Oh, that's good, yeah. It says, although not technically a pop star, sooty, okay? The glove puppet, sooty. Sooty, can't say it. Yeah. Had a new single to promote in the early 80s. And Terry Staunton was all set yeah, to interview yeah, yeah. him. Yeah. The, the celebrated glove puppet for the children's page of a local newspaper. 
Okay? This is good. This is, this is it's just, this is going to set up a picture in your mind, which you're going to know is true. Okay? The brilliant thing is that, for those of you who don't know Terry, or know what he looks like, he was a, he's a really nice guy. Lovely fellow. Leathery. He, he, lived, he lived the rock and roll lifestyle. <laughs> he did, yeah. So he's the last man you'd expect to interview yeah, yeah, Sooty. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. At the appointed time, the puppet master, Harry Corbett, okay, stormed into the room with a smouldering orange bear on his hand. That's good. That's good. <laughs> having accidentally set fire to Sooty during the finale to the matinee show. <laughs> well, Corbett declared, that's the end of that little bastard. <laughs> <laughs> and tossed Sooty in the sink. No puppet, no interview. Stand to roof. You just hear it. It's like <laughs> steam rising, you know. Oh, when we used to go on holiday, that's what they'll do, the Channel Islands, they, they have, uh, in Sark, you can pick up the local channel news, and they used to have a special bit of news for uh, children, yeah. which was presented by a puffin. And a puffin, <laughs> you can write into the Channel Island news and say, my little Jeffrey's you know, going to be eight or something, and the puffin would wink eight times, and the, and the, and the puppet, uh, puffin operative, <laughs> would say this is for Jeffrey, like... And I remember looking at that puffin once and thinking, you know, that puffin seemed better then. <laughs> and then on the boat back to Guernsey, I met somebody who worked on the Channel Island News. I tell you what, that fucking puffin's looking at shocking. I said, well, it's, I hate to admit this, but we're a bit fed up with the old puffin. And what happens is, is when we have a break in the middle of the morning, we use it as a football. <laughs> so, once you've been told that, you knew that this puffin was taken out in between, in between broadcast and given his chewed around the yard after about half an hour. And turned over with a gravel on it. Oh, well, this Great is... big bald patches. You know, at the end, they just had to probably this burn is... it. Probably about the same fate as Sooty. I can't, I can't let this opportunity go by. <laughs> <laughs> we can do ten minutes on glove puppets. Glove puppets. Oh, oh. do you remember... Uh, OK, uh, Philip Schofield, when he was the you know the star of kids. Oh, yeah, 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 television. yeah, yeah, yeah. He used to have a, uh, a puppet called Gordon the Gopher. Gordon the Gopher. And Philip, being no fool, had, before he started doing this programme, he bought the rights to this gopher. Right, from some guy in a market stall. I don't know, a few hundred quid. Okay, Gordon the Gopher. I own him in perpetuity, okay? That's unbelievable, isn't it? So he, go, he then starts, you know, do, you know, in the days when Saturday morning TV probably got 50 million people watching it or whatever, and, and they used to play it with Gordon the Gopher. And I, I, I met Philip Schofield numerous times. I like him enormously. He's a nice chap. And, and I was once on uh, as the special guest, as the editor of a teen magazine. I was once on being... I remember this. Apparently grilled by, you know, jury of... Oh, yeah. yeah. It was just jury of eight-year-olds, all of whom have been given questions by researchers, you know, long before current... They, they don't do that sort of thing in the BBC. <laughs> oh, not anymore. A long time ago, they did. We you renamed Socks for the interview? <laughs> or, or, or Van Morrison? Or and then... <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> anyway, I, 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 did, I did all that. And at the time, my daughter, who's now you know, 25 nearly, um, was very small. And I was talking to Philip afterwards. I said, oh, she loves Gordon, the gopher, or whatever. And he said, oh, well, take this one, <laughs> you know, the one that they've been used in the programme. I said, sure, not especially. He said, oh, yeah, stunt gopher. We've <laughs> 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 still got it at home, the stunt gopher. You know, Do you remember? Good. Yeah. Further puppet stories. When you and I recently found... Music Pictures is a big uh, photo agency which specialises in pictures, historical pictures of music. 
And, uh, and we needed some old pictures ourselves of something. I can't remember what the, what the reason was. And I went and looked, David Hepworth, smash hits or whatever. And up pops on music pictures, a load of old pictures of me and, St- and Steve Bush, who was the art director at the time, posing with Sooty and Sweep. Because that was the week. This, the halcyon days of smash hits, when I want to think about how remarkable Smash Hits was and how unique its time was. I think back to the time when the singles were reviewed by Sooty and Sweet. <laughs> they were. Okay? We had Sooty and Sweet. And I had Sooty and Steve had Sweet. And, you know, we, we didn't clear it with the owners of the copyright or anything at all. You so know. if you'd done that with Gordon the Gopher, you would have had old <laughs> Gofield on your ass. And my learned friends would have got involved. You wouldn't have done that twice. Yeah, you know. So, well, merchandise could have done with a stump gopher, do you? <laughs> did the reviews, I suppose. God almighty. You and I were on a television programme once with a crow, but I can't remember what it was called. Do you remember that? Oh, what? It'll come to me in a minute. It was a crow operated by the guy who played the harmonica on Culture Club's big hit single. Oh, Judd Lander. Judd Lander. He operated a crow. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Details at wordmagazine.co.uk. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.